scripture tonight is uh, John 17, 20 to 23. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening. I'm uh, Spencer Hall. Doug will be back in the pulpit next week, and I know that uh, he covets your prayers as he prepares for fall series on, on the Trinity. As you might imagine, when we brought Caitlin home, uh, our second daughter, our second child, our first daughter uh, from the hospital, uh, we had a a mix of of deep joy and also the tiredness that comes from not sleeping for 48 hours. And uh, as we drove in, um, we saw something that was interesting to us, peculiar, unexpected. Um, Across the street, there was a moving van. And um, we had only been living in Park Ridge for about four months at the time, Uh, but we had gotten to know our neighbors. We thought decently well for four months. Um, I'll call them John and, and Jane. Uh, they were good folks. Uh, they had had us over for bar- a barbecue. Um, we had talked about faith, and, and uh, they were attending a church uh, not far from us. Uh, it seemed just like pillars of the community. And um, so it was really a surprise when we saw the moving van there. And uh, I came in, and, and by the time we had gotten settled, um, it was gone. And I didn't see John for... Um, Another month, uh, he came back to the neighborhood later on, and I came to find out that uh, about two months prior, he had lost his job. Um, he had been working uh, in a job for more than 20 years and had lost it. He, um, he had lost everything in his home, he and, and Jane, and um, you know, some of it was due to really high utility bills. Some of it was due to, to just missing one payment uh, in terms of, of, of the banknote. But it was, it was profoundly sad and it really shook us and, and asked, it caused us to ask the question of, what does it mean to be one with our brothers and sisters? What, what does it mean when we see folks uh, in distress or when we see folks that are having a hard time? How do we even get to know people and, and where they're really at? Because I had seen them day to day, week to week at least, and I knew nothing of what was going on. And Emily and I, as we thought through things, we said, well, what could we have done? We would have been happy to have a conversation and and try to do something. These were pillars of the community. These were people that loved those around them. We didn't know. So Doug reached out um, a month ago or so and and asked that I preach tonight. And um, I said, you know, there's a lot going on in life um, right now for us. Uh, If I needed to to dig into a text all new, it would be really hard. But if I could preach from something that seems like the Lord's already doing in our lives and in many around us, um, I think we could handle it. And so as we get into the text tonight, I know, you know, John 17, we're in the high priestly prayer. Um, I know that this is not just about how we use our resources, how we use our finances, how we think about our time. But that's the direction that I want to focus on most tonight. And so I, I know, you know, when we talk about the oneness of God, when we talk about God the Father and Jesus the Son, we could spend hours, weeks, a lifetime reflecting on this. So I'll just state up front, we're headed in that direction. We could go a whole lot broader um, in this. 
And we'll grapple with the question again tonight. What does it look like to live in oneness together? How do we think about that? How do we love each other well, particularly in terms of material? As a bit of a recap, John 17, this is where we're at. John 13, as many of you know, it's uh, Jesus washing the disciples' feet. We're into the Last Supper. He's teaching. There's breaking of bread, uh, the institution of communion. Uh, John 17 starts off with Jesus praying for the disciples. And, and towards the end of the chapter, Jesus, in verse 20, opens up and he starts praying for us. For all of those believers who would believe after the disciples, who we would believe by their words. We would never have met Jesus. He prays effectively uh, for us in that. And I want to look at three characteristics of oneness tonight. He's praying for our oneness. What does that mean? As we think about oneness, this is a lot more specific. We have an example that we're given. It's not you know, a, a general oneness. We're all connected in some way, shape, or form in the universe. Uh, it's not you know, that commonality that all of us share the same space. It's the oneness that we see between God the Father and Jesus the Son. And I think that um, the first characteristic that we could talk about in terms of that oneness is vulnerability. Or you might say transparency or complete knowing. In verse 21, Jesus prays that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. So that's our example of oneness. Just as Jesus is in the Father and the Father is in Jesus. That's our example of oneness. And I know that's a really high standard. That's a mind-blowing standard. We're never going to get there. We could spend all eternity trying to get there in our own power and we wouldn't make a dent in it. But that's what Jesus is praying for. That's what he's praying that our experience would move towards progressively. You know, just reflecting on the Father and the Son being one together. Um, the Son knows the, the Father's entire heart. You know, we've just come through a time when he's come into Jerusalem and he's weeping. He's physically weeping over Jerusalem because he sees people's unrepentance. Just as the Father has wept over the actions, persistent rebellion of the Israelites throughout centuries. So they're one there. Uh, the Father gives the Son His plan. I mean, we see that unveiled over and over again. John 2, Jesus is saying, it's not my time, Mom. It's not my time. Um, the hour has not come for me to do the things that you're asking for. Later on in John 7, He says again, my hour has not come. Until finally, in John 12, he says, okay, the hour has come. I'm ready to lay down my life. The Father has been telling him the plan the entire time. There's a complete intimacy, a complete alignment, a complete oneness there. The Son knows the Father's power. When Peter takes out his sword and he cuts off the high priest, Malchus, uh, the the servant of the high priest, uh, there soon after the, the Last Supper, Jesus says, Peter, don't you know I can call down legions of angels? He knows his Father intimately. And finally, the Father knows the Son's humanity. He sees the Son's worth, and at his baptism, the Father says, This is my Son, of whom I am well pleased. There's a sense of intense, deep knowing. You know, Doug talks often about uh, when we get down to the deep places of our souls, the, the things that are in our subconscious, and we're trying to grapple with things, it's like we're going into the basement. We spend a lot of life um, kind of on that top floor, but when we get into the really deep um, layers of our soul, that's kind of the basement. And um, 
using that analogy, the, the father and the son, they know each other's basements entirely. Uh, to the point where they're entirely one. I mean, it blows our mind to think about the Trinity um, being three distinct persons and yet one at the same time. There's nothing that's hidden. There's nothing that's, that's left um, unknown between the two of them. And again, I, I, I labor on these things. I give examples here because that's what he's calling us to. That's what he's praying for us to have, that kind of oneness. It's a mystery, and, and certainly as we unpack this and as we get into it, the Holy Spirit has to do this. You know, this is, if we tried to erect hoops that we'd try to jump through and push each other through, we'd get it wrong. Um, let's just state that up front. Uh, but there's this intense unity, this intense oneness. So rather than, you know, uh, suggesting that each one of us, uh, when we file our 1040s, uh, send them into the IRS, we send one to the Finance Committee here at All Souls, I don't think that's the kind of oneness that we're looking for financially or with resources. You know, we're not looking for everybody to post a budget online or to tweet every transaction that you have. Uh, That's not the goal here. I think instead, perhaps a question is, do your people... The two, three, four, six, ten people that are closest to you, do they have a sense of where you're at with resources? With your financial resources? With your material resources? With your time? Do they have a sense of how they might be able to encourage you, support you? Do they have a sense of the challenges that you might be facing, the opportunities that you have? The dreams that you have. That was beautiful. Beautiful, Lisa. Um, The things that the Lord has stirred in your heart. Do they have a sense of that? Do they have a sense of how your financial situation or the material resources you have might relate to your vocational call? You might need to, to, to be able to to deal with that in vulnerability, to have that force of, of encouragement, that force of perspective uh, at times. You know, and if you're starting to feel uncomfortable, I am right there with you. Okay? I've been talking about this with a number of different brothers, and one brother who's a good friend uh, was vulnerable enough to say, you know, I love where you're going here. I'd be happy to, to share our budget with you. And I said, whoa. Okay? Now, this isn't inappropriate. This, this brother and I, we are good friends. So this is not some random guy you know, saying, I'm going to email you something that you don't have any context for. But here's the deal. If he takes that step, what step do I have to take? Because his vulnerability was challenging something deep in me. Because we've got a good relationship, but what I recognized in that relationship is that it's still arm's length at some level. There's this level of intimacy that we haven't gone to. And it's scary. I think, you know, what would he think of the way that I spend money? Would he judge me? Would he think more highly of me? Would it put distance in between our relationship? I recognize that it feels comfortable and safe right now. And I'm not sure where it might go. You know, like Lisa was talking about, not really sure where that basement may be finished out or who might live there or what might happen. There's no roadmap there. 
It's the risk of vulnerability. He'd be in my basement. He'd have a key to my basement. He could tell other people about what's in my basement. I'd be opening a window that I wouldn't be able to close to my soul. I'd be bearing a lot. And and this brother here, he has, he's he's come and said, I'm going to do that. I'm willing to do that. It was a challenge. We're vulnerable. We could be hurt. He could take advantage of me. He could judge me. He could shame me. He could envy me. He could despise me. But at the end of the day, he could also know me. He could profoundly speak into my life. He could encourage me. He could support me. He could challenge me. He could love me well and push me closer to God the Father and Jesus the Son. I think when we look at Jesus' prayer, he's praying for this kind of depth. You know, there are a couple stories that, that came across this week as, as, as I was sharing this with different people in, in kind of our network of, of friends. Uh, one friend from Kentucky, Nathan, related the following story. He and his wife, Trina, were feeling progressively called to live in inner city Louisville. Uh, his family knew another family who'd already uh, lived there and knew them pretty well. And, and that family was being vocationally called to a different place. And Nathan and Trina wanted to move uh, to this place in Louisville to have kind of a ministry of presence just as this other family had. Well, they ended up saying, okay, well, we're going to pray about this and we're going to give this other family our best and highest offer because we'd like to buy their home. We know that they'll be moving. So they did that. The other family said, came back and said, wow, that's more than we need. Why don't you knock down the price, three, $4,000? To which Nathan and, and his wife Trina said, well, you know what? I think that we included the washer and dryer in the contract, but we don't even need that. Why don't you guys take it with you? And there was this beautiful going back and forth, this vulnerability that we so rarely see in any kind of transaction. <laughs> but there was this dynamism of the Spirit. The only way I think that you could, could say was of the Spirit. But it was, I think the key was that vulnerability. Uh, Another friend that I know up in in Boston, um, uh, Eric, he uh, just had come across this story from another one of his friends, but um, he's a guy who runs a multi-billion dollar corporation, makes millions of dollars or even tens of millions of dollars a year. But he recognized many, many years ago that the pull on his life from that material, those material resources would be really strong. So he asked brothers to come around and several times a year to talk through exactly what he was doing with his resources. You see, line item, everything. Because he knew if he, if he didn't, he'd be drawn to those that he'd be rubbing shoulders with. He'd be drawn to spending money like he's a multimillionaire. But he wanted to live like he's very far from that. He wanted to live on 1% or 2% of the, the resources he was bringing in. I thought that was just an amazing example of, of being proactive, certainly far more proactive in vulnerability than, than I've been comfortable with. You know, one of the things as well, uh, I think the dynamism of the Holy Spirit, bringing up other examples that I've, I've talked with different people. Bruce, if you might put up the slide. This is the danger of letting a businessman talk. He'll throw slides at you. Uh, but I'm only doing one. Um, so you can see uh, this is done on a quarterly basis, um, the, this, uh, this research. But it's basically the monthly rent in red and the monthly mortgage payment in blue for starter homes. So what you can see here is that the differential is basically at an all-time high. It's a lot more expensive to rent than it is to buy. 
And this is just you know month to month expense. This is this isn't even talking about the equity that you'd be building if you're if you're buying. But this has just struck me as one of those creative opportunities, perhaps in community. What would it mean if we knew each other well enough, if we were vulnerable enough, where anybody that had had an income that wanted to plant down in a community, we get behind them and say, you know, what do we need to do to make sure this person has credit? Do we backstop loans? Do we provide, you know, uh, low interest? Uh, uh, you know, uh, resources for a down payment. It just seems like there's a, a variety of different things that perhaps the spirit might do as we see this differential and, and kind of these gaps uh, potential in our community. You know, again, I, I I throw some different stories out there, but I think the spirit has to operate within each one of us. Uh, we don't want to to go back to Pharisaism and say, okay, well, this is what community is going to look like. I mean, uh, the whole opportunity of of building a space, not knowing where um, you know the Lord might lead in that, that just sounds dangerous and wild and wonderful. You know, another example I think of this was uh, several nights ago. A few of us got together with uh, Scott and Jill uh, Branson and and heard a bit more about their vision. Uh, for Renaissance Creations, which is basically uh, putting people in homes and uh, restoring blighted uh, uh, homes, uh, getting people in them, planting churches, so to speak, and employing people in the process, having this kind of holistic, amazing, uh, spirit-led process. And I can tell you, as we got together, it was one of these beautiful nights because there were intense emotions. There was a lot at stake. There were vision, there were dreams. Um, Differences of opinion. And yet, there was this dynamism of going deep with one another. This intensity. There were strong comments made. But I think for each one of us, we left, there were tears. I, I teared up several times just seeing um, the beauty of, of Scott and Jill's vision. But it felt like as we took that step of vulnerability, of just talking about, okay, how do we get behind Scott and Jill with resources and with you know, whatever we might be able to do? There was beauty in that. So the first part, vulnerability. Uh, second piece uh, that I think we see here in the text. This oneness that Jesus prays about is innate. It's not something that we just try really hard to do. You know, as an American, oftentimes I'm looking for the five things that I need to do to make this happen. But what we see in the text here in verse 22 is a past tense verb. The glory that you've given to me, I have given to them. This is not about something that we're trying to do. This is a difference of worldview. This is a difference of it's a paradigm shift. Um, it's understanding that, and, and you know, talking with Stephen Otis, uh, who's reflected a lot on this, has, has helped me uh, a good deal this past uh, couple weeks. We're not trying to build the energy to do something difficult. Instead, we're just grasping what is rightly ours. We already are one, but often, sadly, we don't live like it. Uh, We settle for independence when we've got this rich fare of interdependence. It's kind of like we're we're an engine, and uh, you know, if you're like me, a lot of times you think, okay, I'm just going to be able to do this all on my own. I put in the fuel of independence, and I think that the Lord has constructed us. He's shown, as as His prayer goes, that that we really run on that fuel of interdependence. There's, an, there's a sense that this is innate. That's, it's not something that we do. It's something that we understand. It's something that we embrace. What happens when we start to live out of this oneness? 
you know, I, I think that where we see pockets of vibrance, oftentimes it's reflective of this oneness. You know, I think of um, just what Doug often called the, the incredible uh, strategy that the Lord had used for evangelism several years ago with Lindsay and the, the potluck, everybody bringing you know, what they had, uh, resources in terms of a potluck after uh, uh, church service on Sunday nights. I think of Drew and Nikki um, reaching out and loving the people around them uh, so well, uh, being able to take Peyton into the home. I think of um, the Johansons taking five kids in. Um, just some amazing examples that it doesn't matter where you come from. When I share uh, those stories, it doesn't matter what, what an individual thinks about the church. There's a sense of, of wow, this is really different. This oneness is, is exceptional. When we reframe our expectations, we really start living. And uh, Lou, tonight, as we uh, got into prayer together, I think he made the apt um, recognition that that the independence that we seek so often isolation's not safety isolation that independence it, it's not as though it's going to keep us from any of the pain that sometimes we think uh, that it might instead the interdependence actually gives us the vibrancy to be able to deal with uh, things as they come up whether they be financial struggles or material struggles or uh, something else entirely So, Jesus prays for oneness, and part of that is vulnerability, I think. Part of that is there's this sense that it's innate, that it's something that we have to understand, something that we uh, begin to, to see how our engines run. And that third characteristic is Jesus was praying, uh, this oneness is missional. And by that, I mean, looking at verse 21 and 23, Jesus says, he's praying this so that the world may believe that you've sent me. The world may believe that the Father has sent him. Then in verse 23, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. In other words, as we live in this tangible oneness, the world takes note. The world stops and says, this oneness is different than anything else I've seen. This dynamism uh, that, that we see in, in people sharing their lives together. Uh, you know, One author uh, said that... Uh, uh, the evangelism uh, of the early church uh, happened so quickly and, and people came into the body of faith quickly because people shared their purses but not their marriage beds. Uh, you may have heard the quote from Julian, an emperor of Rome, who was who not a Christian, uh, one of the last uh, uh, emperors leading up to Constantine. He wrote the following, These impious Galileans not only feed their own but ours also, welcoming them with their agape, they attract them as children are attracted with cakes. Whilst pagan priests neglect the poor, the hated Galileans devote themselves to works of charity. The early Christians, they were acting in obedience with Christ. They were acting together as one. They were being vulnerable. They had a sense of this is just the way that we're created to be. And it had a, a profound difference. In effect, you know, as, as John Wood likes to talk about, they were giving Jesus skin in their particular place. They were embodying that move of the Spirit in a particular place. I think that as we see glimpses of this within all souls, within our body, um, 
many of us are starting to become more fully alive. Doug referenced a few weeks ago, I think, um, some of the, the parents from the Emerald Youth Swim Team saying, you know, I don't know what you guys are about, but if you're about serving our kids, if you're about loving them well, which we've got so many different people that have been connected to that, then I want you in our lives. I don't know anything else, but I want you in our lives. So I think one of the questions tonight is, where, where do we go with this? What does it look like to be vulnerable with one another? What might be the next step that the Holy Spirit's taking? What would it look like to take another step a little bit deeper, perhaps with those three, four, five, ten people that are your people within this body? You know, I don't know where our former neighbors, John and Jane, are these days. I wish I was still connected with them. I wish they were still in our neighborhood. I wish they were still loving on the kids. But I have a great deal of hope that as we live together in community, as we walk together, as we go deeper, as we know each other better and we can spur each other on to love and good deeds, that when those difficult times come, first we'll know each other well enough that we know what's going on and second we'll be there to support, to encourage, to love well.